Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And today we're on to the coaches. Logan, Adam Peters introduced on Tuesday. Uh, very nonspecific in his press conference about pretty much everything, which makes sense because I think one of the compliments that we've given him, uh, you were certainly someone who said this prominently last week upon hiring. Uh, I thought uh, our pal Zach Selby did a great job talking to John Lynch over the weekend. Mm. Uh, we had Zach on the show yesterday to talk about that conversation on the radio, but John Lynch talked about this and many others have as well. Um, he does a really good job, does Adam Peters, of making sure that the head coach sets the vision of what the football team is going to be and thus it is really hard to evaluate what you have and where you're going uh and do anything really but focus on that head coach hire so that's what we're going to do today uh multiple head coaches interviewing virtually this week uh the in-person interviews can start next week and so we're going to focus on three guys today two especially because logan you have personal experience with Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris. <laughs> I do, yeah. It'll be fun to talk about those guys. And, I mean, this is a really exciting time, obviously, for the commander because I think, like, as much as the GM hire was was a huge deal and it's and it's really, like, the deal at the moment, I think it's the direction this franchise is going to go is totally tied with, with the head coach, like you were saying. I think what Scott Pioli said uh, on your show uh, last week I thought was really – really insightful it's like you know the gm has to understand that it's the coach's team and it's the coach's direction and then that 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 they have to work together to accomplish that And i think when you look at san fran specifically they've just done a great job as providing a roadmap of how the front office and the head coach can work hand in hand to to accomplish that that goal of creating a good culture and creating a winning a winning culture as well so yeah no doubt about it i mean as pioli said it doesn't really matter who's given the power in terms of who's in charge because it's going to take the head coach's shape. And so right. understanding that you don't have a shape until you have a head coach is something that's actually ref- like 
some people are mad that he didn't have specifics. He's like, how's this guy going to fix it? He doesn't know what, what he wants to do. And it's like, yeah, he does. He wants to hire a head coach. Right. So uh, with that, let's get into it. Um, and the other guy that we're going to talk about today, too, uh, on top of Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris and uh, Ben Johnson is going to interview Friday. But I want to talk about Mike McDonald as well, the mm. Ravens defensive coordinator. We got a great question on YouTube, uh, one of the the our videos got a comment on it. Uh, the clips that I post on my page at Craig Hoffman saying, Hey Craig, can you have Logan do a breakdown of Mike McDonald? Mm. Because he's been the only guy that really has had a ton of success. It seems like versus the Shanahan offensive tree, mm. uh, coaches. So whether it's what he did to, you know, Ben Johnson's not directly off the tree, but as we've talked about very similar stylistically and schematically, whether it's what he did to Miami and, and Mike McDaniel, uh, at the end of the season, uh, I mean, even the 49ers, the one team that's yeah. made the 49ers look human, uh, this year and, and not very good at football is the Baltimore Ravens. So how did Mike McDonald do it? So we got your old head coach in DQ. We got your old, uh, you know, guy he in was the building the game coordinator in Atlanta. And also he was here as the DB's coach for a while. So yeah. yeah. So you got Raheem twice and on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then you got Mike McDonald, which one do you want to start with? Well, I don't know. It's, it's kind of up to you. I, I think Mike McDonald, cause I just watched the film. We can kind of get into that right yeah. away. <clears throat> and I think so so I think I would kind of classify him a little bit like in the same vein as like Ben Johnson. I think he's doing a lot of really good stuff, but I think it's also important to remember and I'm kind of saying this as a caveat before we get into like the nuts and bolts of what the defense is doing is they've got a really talented group of playmakers that they're dealing with. And I think that's so important for people to understand. It's like yes, he's got a very decisive and very kind of innovative defensive vision, but also he's got ball players man he's got good pass rushers he's got guys bought into the scheme and i think he deserves a little bit of credit for that the the, the middle level of that defense the linebackers are playing better uh queen is playing the best football of his career right roquan smith is having a resurgence after kind of being after languishing in chicago for a while they went out and signed some big free agents in the secondary at safety specifically those guys are playing really good football so i think that's important to note just like ben johnson right ben johnson's got a plethora of playmakers they've got a really good offensive line it enhances what they're doing and same thing with kyle like kyle in san francisco like that offense when you look at the playmakers and the offensive line Offensive line, not so much, but the playmaker specifically, it's dynamic. And so um, I think that's important just to understand about this group. Because when you look at them, when you look at Baltimore and what they're doing defensively, it's not like you're going to see something crazy. It's not like you're seeing Brian Flores where they're doing something that's totally out of pocket. It's, you know, where they're either bringing eight rushers or dropping eight. Like there's just that that crazy kind of super innovative super risky approach that's not what they're doing right they, they they run cover one they run cover three they run cover six they get to it different ways in terms of disguising the structure which is helpful right and you have to have playmakers that have different skill sets like specifically kyle hamilton when you watch that san francisco game he gets that first pick they're rolling a cover three right and it looks starts in a two look and instead of having the corner drop out and be that thirds player, which would normally be the corner, right? It's Kyle Hamilton buzzing over there with vision of the quarterback, and he makes a great play on the ball. And it's a, just enough of a difference there to kind of put you in a tough spot. And then on third down, they do some stuff very similar to kind of what Wink does, not with the same volume, but they're looking to create overloads and protection. They're looking to get you to send protection certain ways and bring overloads to the other side. I love what they do with their personnel in terms of defensive line because they kind of bounce between a four down structure. They bounce between an odd structure. And I think all that stuff is really dynamic. But again, it's nothing that's like, it's nothing that you wouldn't see 
you know, from good defensive coordinators. You know, it's nothing like that. It's like they're good at disguising coverages. They're good at kind of bringing overloads in terms of pressure. They're good at using their personnel. And I think those three things, to me, show what kind of coach he is and show that he's a really bright dude. Because not only are they doing stuff that they're doing complicated stuff and making it look easy. And I think there's that speaks to his coaching voice, if that makes yeah. sense. I, that makes me feel better about him as a head coach candidate than if you were like, man, this guy schemes it up because yeah. the co- like coordinator is where you scheme it up. That's the guy I want as a coordinator. And and like, obviously these guys that become head coaches or head coach candidates are tremendous coordinators. Uh, even if they are, you know, more simplistic than maybe people would think because their, their results are so much better than everyone else. But yeah. like, do you understand personnel? That is ultimately the job of a head coach, I think. And I'm thinking about this, obviously, uh, in the aftermath here of of Ron talking to John Keim and, you know, some of the comments that he's made on the way out and some of the things that we've talked about on this podcast with this team the last couple of years is like, okay, you have this idea over here and this personnel here, and these two things do not seem to mesh. So the fact that Mike McDonald looks at his personnel and is like, I know what to do with these guys. That speaks very well to like a vision of a team Mm -hmm. and working with a guy like Adam Peters to be like, hey, Adam, this is what I need. And then Peters can go get get those players exactly like he's done with Kyle out in San Francisco and, and, you know, Denver, the same thing and, and on down the list. So I think, I think be, those things, clear, yeah, just, like, I think those things speak well to, to a head coach and translate well. No, I think that's right. And it's not like he's not smart. Like you can tell he's right. this really bright dude. He's again, those overloads, the way he presents those things, um, you know, how, how you can tell he's studied how they target their protections. You can tell he understands who they're trying to get the ball to, like just how they, how they focused on Christian McCaffrey in that matchup. Like he's obviously a bright dude, right? There's no no doubt about it. I don't want to diminish that part of it. But yeah. I do think like you like you're saying, it's the understanding of personnel, how to maximize personnel. And again, like putting guys in different spots. Like I just look at um, you know, some of the stuff they've done where they've got like uh their 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 nose guard who's number ninety eight, I forget his name at the moment, Williams, I think is his last name, but he's lined up at defensive end. And they've got kind of three guys you'd think of as nose guards in there with Jadavian Clowney, and he's rushing a tackle. And the tackle loses the rep because he's not used to, to blocking that type of body type, right? And that's something simple, right? But but it does give you some flexibility. It makes it hard for the offense to identify, you know, like who's who's down, who like who are the bigs in the protection, how are we targeting this run, the spacing's a little bit different than what we were expecting. All that stuff's really valuable. But I think to your point, it's I have this personnel that's very talented. I'm going to coach them up at a high level because, you know, they don't give up a lot of coverage busts. They're pretty dialed in. Do they give up plays? Absolutely. It's defense, right? The, like offense is the, is the pace setter in the NFL at the moment. But I think that that is really the, the magic of what he's doing. It's like they're really well coached. They're very disciplined. He's, he's, he's empowered them, I would say, to make plays, you know, which is something that I think is very challenging to do and kind of saying, hey, this is a time. And again, it's him and his position coaches also, so it's not just him. But I do think there is, um, like t- to your point, like it's the stuff that he's doing with maximizing personnel in addition to the football kind of smarts that he shows that I think make him kind of an interesting candidate. More interesting than uh, before I started watching film with the Baltimore Ravens, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it sounds like a guy who doesn't lose the forest through the trees. Mm. And that is, to me, essential as a head coach. And then can you lead in a way that reflects that, right? Like, mm. can you, are you willing to go to your coordinators or your position coaches and be like, hey, we're uh, we're getting a little too caught up in, in X. Don't yeah. lose track of Y. Like, when you say they didn't let Christian McCaffrey, like the way they focused on Christian McCaffrey against San Francisco, I'm like, hire that guy. 
because why can't everyone else figure that out? Like, you know, and it's, it's obviously like the best players are going to beat you. And so we'd say, Oh, we don't want, we don't want Michael Jordan to beat us. It's like, well, good luck. He's Michael Jordan. Right. And, but you try your damnness and like you, you focus to make his life difficult and whatever. And, you know, in football, if they have a Christian McCaffrey type piece that is essential to what an offense is doing in their identity, how do you shut that down? How do you make sure that the piece that they want to use, this is what happened to the chiefs this year, right? Until like Rashi rice is now emerged is a real threat on the outside but eventually teams are just like they got kelsey and they got mahomes making it up and praying and yeah. I mean, half, half of his prayers goes unanswered because his receivers can't really catch that well yeah. um their, their receivers are bad at the receiving so teams focused in on travis kelsey and the chiefs offense has sputtered along all year and now we'll yeah. see if they found it here in the playoffs or whether that was just p- playing a, a banged up miami team in the cold mm-hmm. but th- th- that that's kind of to me the big thing is like do you have clarity on your vision do you have clarity in your vision on how to build a team and do you have clarity week in and week out on what's really important and what's not and when you, when you watch the tape and you come away with those takeaways to me that's that checks that box in a major way for mike mcdonald um obviously there is just a reality of hiring a defensive head coach that says we're going to have to replace our OC if he's really good because he's going to yeah. get a job somewhere else. My question would then be like, do you have a uh, kind of a, a stable of backups ready to go? Do you have the network to, to make up for that? Like, I think if Bobby Slowick leaves Houston, D'Amico Ryan's will have someone ready to go yeah. from somewhere else in Kyle's tree. They keep the continuity and I, I would wonder about that with McDonald, but that definitely is not a disqualifying thing. And if that's the biggest, you know, red flag you can come up with, the biggest con on the pros cons list, um, that's actually speaks very well of can- his, of his candidacy. Yeah. And I think I, I, do, I do think it's a, it's a, it's a significant thing to talk about though, you know, cause he is a young guy, right? I think right. that's, you know, it's, it's a pro and a con. And like when you're a young guy, you don't have this, kind of network that some of these other coaches have. And you mentioned the Kyle Shanahan tree, uh, the, uh, really the Mike Shanahan tree and all the guys that have come off of that. And I think when you look at that and you say, well, one of the benefits of that situation is that they know a lot of people and they have this intimate understanding of saying, oh, this guy is leaving, but I, I like, you know, Mike McDaniel in Miami has recommended this guy. I could be my, I trust, trust Mike's opinion on this guy. Let me get him in here. And that happens all the time. You know, that happens all the time. And so that, that'd be one thing I'd be a little bit concerned about is like how diverse is this tree? Obviously it's very Harbaugh centric and there are a lot of guys from that tree that have been around and been very successful. So maybe you feel good about that, but I think that's something um, that needs to be considered. And also like, I think he's a smart guy, obviously, but he's also got some really talented position coaches. I mean, Anthony Weaver is the D-line coach, and he's up for a head coaching job, right? And I don't think that's an accident. I think he's 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 got that group playing really, really good football up front. And so, you know, obviously you've done a good job of surrounding yourself with good people, but some of those pieces were already in place. So um, that would be something else I'd consider is like, you know, how diverse is his tree? How much is he responsible for the success there? Obviously, quite a bit. He's a defensive coordinator, but I'm sure he's got tremendous position coaches that know how to maximize those guys and get his meshes across. And those guys aren't leaving Baltimore, a lot of them. You know, they're going to stick around. And and can can you find that same type of staff here? So it's one of the one of the challenges of having a, a young candidate, you know, is that you got to make sure that you have a diverse kind of um, diverse portfolio of people that you can refer to. And I, does he have it? That's a question for the interview process, no doubt. For sure. Uh, and just to to flush that out, 
Baltimore is the only place he's ever been in the NFL. Yeah. Um, he was a high school coach coming out of college. He went to University of Georgia, was there for a couple of years, and then got an internship with the Ravens back in 2014 uh, as a 27-year-old. So he was at, at Cedar Shoals High School uh, coaching linebackers and running backs. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he was a 21-year-old graduate of wherever the hell he went to college, uh, then went to University of Georgia, worked his way up there, intern at 27 in 2014 uh, with the Ravens, and then worked his way up up all the way to being the DC um, who his only the place he left was uh, the one year he was the DC for Jim at Michigan mm -hmm. and John hired him back to the Ravens as, as the DC when they moved on from wink and look I mean <laughs> the two years are incredible um, yeah. you know they were they were 12th last year uh, or sorry ninth in yards last year third in points they're sixth and first this year mm -hmm. so the the, the the results are fantastic, but when you talk about that network and and kind of what do you do? What do you do offensively? You have the number two pick. You know, you probably need a, a quarterback. Like, what kind of vision does he have? Like, this yeah. the interview process is going to ultimately be very important. The tape, it, the tape is great uh, it, to use the kind of the 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 way we phrase yes, it for right. players, right? The tape evaluation is fantastic. How's the scouting process going to go? And there's yeah. a lot of questions to be answered that we we frankly don't have the answers to. Yeah, and I also think it's important to note, like with defense um, specifically, like they've been able to rely heavily on Lamar Jackson and that offense quite a bit, you know, to, yep. to score points and put them in positive game flows. And and I think that's something that can't be overstated as well. Like I think the success of that defense is so closely tied to that offense and it's good complementary football. So he's seen how that works and he's seen how that's important. But I also think, um, you know, his, his success is not in a vacuum. You know, like, like when you look at the Jets and Robert Sala and how effective – that defense was or when you could Cleveland and how effective that defense was with offenses that were struggling it's it's very defense driven it's very defense centric here they have the benefit of kind of the the positive game flow which I think it shows up quite a bit in their film and and that's good that's good football so I don't want to detract that from them but it's also something that kind of just put some context on what's happening there in Baltimore in terms of the effectiveness of the defense for sure Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about two coaches that you know and have played for. Uh, and in fact, we're on the same staff uh, when you were there in Atlanta. Uh, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn. Let's start with DQ. Yeah. He was your head coach in Atlanta. We have certainly talked about him before. And mm -hmm. I will say it is, it's really tough for a head coaching candidate to lose in the playoffs the way that he did. Does that define him? No. But it is an outsized data point because... The whole league is watching, and that includes the owners that are going to hopefully hire you, mm. um, where week in, week out, they're either on their yacht somewhere uh, or at the game watching their own team. They're not watching the entire league. They're certainly tangentially aware. But when the whole league sits down and watches you get gashed in the way that that defense got gashed for the Cowboys, probably not the best thing to have as the last piece on your resume for Dan Quinn going to these interviews. That said, he's also got a Super Bowl ring as defensive coordinator with Seattle. Um, and he obviously made another Super Bowl there in Atlanta uh, 
with Kyle and and we all know what happened in that Super Bowl. It's not great. Uh, so with that said, Dan Quinn, head coach candidate. How do you how do you like him? I mean, I can't say enough good things about Dan. I think when I went to Atlanta, it was like a brush of fresh, fresh air for me in my career. Like, and quite honestly, because he just did such a good job of creating like one of the best cultures I've ever been around. Like it was so fun to come to work. It was so fun to be a part of his vision. He cared about the players. He's passionate about the players. Obviously he's a smart football guy, but you know, I can't speak to McDonald and what he does, right. And how the guys like him, but having been a player for Dan, I know he just builds relationships at the highest level, you know, and I know um, he has a really good relationship with Kyle. Kyle's got a great, great relationship with Adam. So I think like, that's your, when you're getting a referral from Kyle Shanahan. I think that's a big deal. I also think, you know, one of the things I keep, I brought this up a couple of times on the show and I just, it's to me, it's one of the most valuable things that he's done. Like despite all the stuff he did for me in Atlanta, what I saw him do with the team there, like after he got fired, I remember he called me and said, you know, I'm trying to figure things out like where I went wrong. And like that reflectiveness, that growth mindset, I think is so important. So I don't think he's going to make the same mistakes that he made in Atlanta. And I think he's going to kind of, he just, he's just a good dude, man. Good dude. Awesome coach. Can't say enough positive things about him. I think the team would be very lucky to have him here. Obviously he's a little bit older and you know, is this the right fit for what Josh Harris wants with Adam? I don't know. And so that's again, something that goes through in the interview process, but in terms of building a culture, a positive work environment, you're going to be hard pressed to find a guy better than that um, in terms of building relationships with players. So um, again, like it's more than that, you know, it's again, does the vision align with what they're trying to do in, um, in the front office here. But in terms of that kind of stuff, he's excellent. Yeah. I mean, every time I've heard you talk about him, I'm like, what more could you want in a head coach? Um, You know, obviously I think you have the reality that, it didn't go great uh, in Atlanta right. after Kyle left. And yeah. the question is, is that reflectiveness that he had, um, you know, like how does it actually implement? Because it's easy in the moment yeah. to be like, all right, well, how did it go? But then actually implementing the change is, is difficult. You know, how do you go about finding that network and making sure that you are set on the offensive side of the ball when you are a defensive guy, how involved would he be on the defense would be another question I'd want to know from him. Um, and I don't know when, when he was the head coach in Atlanta, like how hands-on was he versus obviously coming off a tremendous coordinating run in Dallas, even if it has the sour ending. Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously one of the things about Dan that you love is again, you see some of that same innovativeness that you see from McDonald, right? Putting playmakers in good positions to be successful, taking away the most valuable asset, disguising coverages, getting guys coached up. It's all there, right? It's a good defensive mind, just a different way to get to it. Um, so when I was in Atlanta, he had, he had rescinded defensive play calling duties. He had kind of gone in a different direction. And I think, um, and he was just kind of purely a head coach. And, you know, during my time there, it got really bad defensively and he had to kind of re get back in the saddle and take on play calling duties again. And I think that's that's also a really good example of, you know, everyone talks about the Kyle Shanahan thing, but it also I think it's important to note, like they just paid Matt Ryan a lot of money. They just paid Julio Jones a lot of money. They just paid Jake Matthews a lot of money. And they didn't really have a lot in terms of roster scaffolding outside of that. And I think like it was kind of the thing we're going to, you know, I think we'll talk about this later, maybe with Philly or with Dallas, like when you pay that guy a lot of money, it becomes really hard to make a roster around it. So near the end of that, like the roster just was not very talented. So it was really hard for us to be competitive in football games if Matt wasn't playing lights out, if Julio wasn't playing lights out, right? And I think that's something that, again, is something you got to learn from. 
if you're him and kind of how we're going to build this team and, and issues, right? So it's not only the coordinator leaving, but it's also kind of the degradation of the roster after Kyle leaves because you got to pay good football players and they paid those guys a ton of money. So I think that, that, that that's kind of another element that needs to be considered in terms of how he built that team. And so when he was calling the defense, like it wasn't great, but I think it's also because the defense at the time wasn't very talented, you know, and I think we've seen here firsthand, like, you know, like just looking at these candidates, like, Ben Johnson, that offense, he's he's doing a lot of innovative stuff. Very talented group. McDonald, very talented in terms of what they yeah. have in Baltimore. Um, even in Dallas, a very very talented group. So I think that's all that all has to be considered when kind of looking at the coach and looking at what's going to happen year one, year two, or th- year three with them because they got to kind of build this sucker back up. Right. So I actually I think that's a good like pause timeout. Let's get yeah. more general for a second. The goal is to have good players. Yes, um, right. And they've got some here that feel like they've been terribly misused, um, mm-hmm. whether that's offensively or defensively. You just you just kind of look at the tape sometimes and you go, there's got to be a better way to do that than this. Like right. that that guy, whether it's 17, whether it's one, um, some of the stuff with Curtis when Scott was here, where you're just like, right. how come you can't get him the ball more? Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes there's explanations of there's only so many balls to go around. Oh, they well, they ran 35 plays in the game because the defense yeah. do whatever. Like sometimes there's individual specific things, but on a macro level, I think it's a very fair criticism of right. the last four years to say there are talented players that have not been maximized. And also it is fair to say that the goal is in building a football team. This is earth shattering analysis is to have good it's, football players. It's true, though. I mean, when true. good coaching meets good players. That's when you win at a major level in this league. And so and, the fact that these guys have shown the ability to do this is ultimately a good thing. It's just, it, it makes it a little harder on the evaluation to parse out how much of it is, hey, they got great players versus, wow, they're really doing this with the X's and the O's and the coaching and the teaching and the motivating and, and all the other stuff that goes into it. Yeah, and I think, I think Dan, when you look at his resume, Quinn specifically, like think about how bad that defense was before it got there. You know, and I think one of the reasons it's better, it, it was like an overnight transformation in terms of production is because of how he's able to motivate guys. I think that's obvious, you know, when you look at him and his career. I think um, the, with Ben Johnson, it's a little bit more challenging to kind of parse out who's the motivating factor there. Is it a Dan Campbell? Is it him? Is it, you know, is Jared Goff this dynamic leader in that room? Does he fit that style? So I think that's where it becomes a little bit more challenging. I think Dan has shown his resume to me, the transitions he's gone through has shown that he can motivate guys at a high level. But again, you need talent. And I think that's the thing where you look at these teams, you look at um, Baltimore's a great example. Detroit's a great example on the offensive side of the football. They have pieces that I think are probably less talented in other locations, but they fit the vision of the coach. And I think that is why this relationship is so important. Like we can talk about resumes all we want, but it's really how does Adam Peters and whoever coach come in, communicate that vision? And then how does Adam Peters, because he's shown an ability to get the players you want in the organization, like at a high level, he's shown that he can do that. It's just about, is that coach able to, identify his vision, communicate that vision, and then let's build this roster out. Because I think you look at San Fran, and when I got there, you know, in 2017, that wasn't good. I think that was his first year, and Adam Peters, his first year. But Kyle, you better believe he's got a great vision for that roster, right? Great vision. And look at that roster now. It is is an encapsulation of Kyle and his perspective on football. You know what I'm saying? And that's because they had such a good working relationship. That's why, to me, again, the records, the – you know, the, the offensive innovation, all that's important, but it's 
What is your vision? Can we get it identified? And can we get it communicated? And, and again, like, I think Dan has shown an ability to do that. Um, I think uh, and Ben Johnson and McDonald, I don't know, because I don't know them personally. But I like that's that to me is like the crux of the interview when they do this virtual interview later this week. For sure. All right. Which brings us to the last guy who you also know personally that we know is interviewing uh, as we record this on Thursday today. And that is Raheem Morris. Um, Ra is one of the most interesting coaching resumes of anybody in the National Football League. Um, He was a head coach at 33 in Tampa. Uh, It didn't go great. He had one 10-win season, but uh, the other two were were pretty poor um, and ultimately let go pretty quickly. Um, He reemerges in Atlanta with Kyle and and gets flipped over to the offensive side of the ball, which I would love to learn more about um, kind of that him coaching on that side of the ball because I mean, eventually he goes back to defense. So clearly like that wasn't yeah. his long-term future, but like that doesn't necessarily mean it went poorly and you yeah. were there. So like we can talk about that, um, but has reemerged with Sean McVay in LA uh, as the defensive coordinator helped them win a super bowl. And every single person I know, which is, you know, a decent number relatively yeah. speaking because of his time here. Cause he was, he was here back on that staff in 2013. Um, Everyone loves the guy. Like, just everyone is like, Raheem Morris is one of the best dudes you will ever meet. Uh, so, what's the Raheem Morris profile? I'm going to tell you the same thing. He's an awesome dude. One of dude. the best dudes. Yeah. yeah. And he's awesome dude. He's super dynamic. He gets, he relates to players at a high level. You know, like, kind of wherever you're coming from. He just, he just has this kind of presence about him that's infectious, you know. And again, he's not... I haven't been with him when he's been, you know, the leader of the defense, but I think he was, you know, the receiver receiving coach, pass game coordinator. When he stands up in front of the room, he commands the room. He has a relationship with everybody on the roster. Like it's awesome, you know, and he's a smart football guy, you know, cause he, that ability to go from offense to defense, I think, and then back or from defense to offense, then back to defense, I think just speaks to his insight. Like he was coaching receivers in Atlanta and getting guys better and improving play. And I think that's, that's awesome. You know, so he so would have I been think, there like when Muhammad San- Sanu was Sanu, like emerging and doing yeah. I mean, it's one thing to coach Julio Jones. I mean, to an extent, I could coach Julio Jones. Julio, go be awesome. Okay, good. Ready right. Um, but yeah. like the how Sanu grew and, and some of the other young guys in Atlanta, That's right. like, that was that was tremendous. That's exactly right. And so he I think he deserves obviously some credit for that. You know, like it's the player getting motivated, but also knowing how to speak to the player. And I was there and I saw like um Zacchaeus, you know, who was like a yeah. like a undrafted free agent, kind of blossom under his tutelage, and he just found ways to kind of maximize guys and, and put guys in good positions. So again, I think he's a really bright dude. I think he relates to players at a high level. Um, I think he thinks football, big picture, high level, which is what you want. He's got kind of a little bit of um, it's it's a little different flavor, but it's kind of the Sean McVay. You know, he's got this really dynamic, charismatic personality that's a lot of fun to be around, and that that gets guys excited to come to work. And, and again, he's very passionate about football. So um, I think it's awesome. I think it's great what he's done in uh, LA. You know, when you look at some of the stuff they were doing early in the season, having a hard time with coverage bus, letting free runners. And then as they made their playoff push, just kind of batting down the hatches and and really coached it up and, and, and that group developed, which is great to see. So I, I got nothing but good things to say about him. You know, after I got cut, I remember he reached out to me the same day, said, man, it was great working with you for the year. And, I appreciate that kind of stuff because I think there's a human element to this thing that often gets forgotten. And for him to kind of be able to hit on that and still be a a good professional is, is fantastic. So, and, and to me that fits kind of what 
Adam Peters' vision for the coaching staff is, right? Or for for the staff in general, is we want to have good relationships. We want to be able to make tough decisions, but also remember the humanity of it. I think that speaks to that that raw Raheem fits that, I think. Yeah, I like he's he's kind of my dark horse candidate that I really would be curious about because he has the network. Like we talked about McDonald. Uh yeah. like does he have the network? Like Raheem Morris knows everyone. Everybody yeah. loves him. Yeah. Like that dude would have no problem putting together putting together a bomb coaching staff. Right. And I do think the fact that he would probably be running like he would be demanding of running the Kyle slash Sean, some offshoot of that offense. Sure. And there are plenty of guys around the league that are capable of being the OC there. So if all of a sudden you get someone who moves on, you do have the ability to keep some level of continuity, but he's plugged into those trees. He knows everybody. He's someone that people want to work with and for, and unlike like not to be, not to, to feel like I'm putting down Dan Quinn at all, but like Dan Quinn to me fits the, the retread more than Raheem Morris does. Sure. Like Rog, Rog got the head coaching job when he was 33 years old and didn't really get the best shake down in Tampa of yeah. it. Um, and, and, and he'll tell you he didn't handle that well. Like, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll be very honest. And I think, again, the self-awareness to be like, you know, I didn't, I could have done it better. That is always important to hear from a coach, you know? And I think, um, Taking personal accountability is a big deal. Like, in, in not from co- like for coaches, obviously, but in any type of leadership position. And I think all the guys we're talking about that I know um, are that way. And I think the t- the organization would be very lucky to get any of them. But um, I, I do understand what you're saying about the Dan Quinn thing. Like Dan, yeah, Dan, Dan will be 54 at- this year. Um, yeah. Raheem Morris is going to be. I mean, at this point, you no, know, that 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 Tampa thing was a long freaking yeah. time ago. Um, yeah. He is going to be 48 this year. Um, but that's still like, I mean, if he's your coach for 15 years, like he's still a decade younger than Belichick is right now. And Pete Carroll is right now. So, um, you know, when you're looking for like the young youthful energy, even though he was a head coach a decade ago, like you, you check that box with Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn's got tremendous energy. Um, he, he brings it, uh, I mean, dude, wears his hat backwards. What more could you want? Um, but you know, it's different. I like to me, Raheem Morris isn't a retread. He's a he's a guy that's been around for a long time who happened to be a head coach a long time ago. Right. No, I, I definitely understand that where that's coming from, and I, I think it's like with both those guys. Like I think I think they'll I think you know Dan probably is. I would imagine him getting a head coaching job this cycle, but I hope the same thing for Raheem. I think yeah. because of the things you're talking about, I think he is an innovative guy. I think he's smart. I think he's a good leader. I think all those things are super important and. Um, I think the maturity you mentioned, you know, he got the job when he was 33. And I think I remember talking to him, he said, you know, wish I'd just been a little bit more mature about it. And again, like now he's here, you know, what is that? 12, 13 years later, whatever the math is there, like that's a big deal. So um, I'm I'm excited. I hope, I hope they both get jobs. I think they both deserve jobs. Um, And it just depends on whether it's the right fit here in Washington or not. For sure. Um, You know, all the reporting is that Johnson is the favorite. I think a lot of that is just simple math of, he's the number one guy and almost and like kind of the consensus yeah. number one. Um, and right. this seems to be the number one opening. So we'll see. It would be really nice if raw or Slowick got it. And finally that 2013, 2012 Washington staff picture gets to finally, like so many teams have reaped the benefits. Can, yeah. can, can we be one of them here? <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny you talk about Bobby. I think Bobby's probably, a year away, you know, but I mean, if the iron's hot and the situation's right, good for Bobby. So yeah, but I, I think, I think they both deserve long story short. I think they both deserve head coaching shots. It just depends on whether it's the right, right fit here, I think. And, uh, you know, only the only person who knows that or the only people who know that are Josh Harris and, uh, 
Adam Peters. So yeah. we'll get an answer sooner rather than later. Yeah. And they don't know it yet because they still got a bunch of interviews to do. Right. Um, and like we talked about, uh, especially with McDonald, like the interview portion is extremely important because you are interviewing for a different job than you have. Like it is yeah. coordinator and head coach are different jobs. And we've seen it all across NFL history um, and, and understanding as Adam Peters certainly does, like what an NFL head coach looks like um, and, and do, does this person meet, meet those qualifications is something they'll have to suss out in these interviews. Uh, what they won't have to do is compete with Philadelphia and Dallas for head coaching positions, especially Dallas. We know that for sure. It looks like Nick Sirianni is probably safe in Philadelphia as we record this uh, famous last word. Sorry, Nick, that you apparently just got fired because we jinxed it. Uh, but no, it looks like Sirianni is going to be safe in Philadelphia and they're going to look to replace the coordinators. So uh, what we're going to do is play a little NFC East. Would you rather uh, AKA who would you rather be? The Eagles or Cowboys that just flamed out of the playoffs or the Commanders with this fresh slate ahead or the Giants in whatever state they're in. Uh, we will suss that out next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseballs and boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Wrapping up the Take Command podcast with Logan Paulson. I am Greg Hoffman and... Yesterday on the Hoffman Show, the uh, little radio show, it's not that little actually anymore, uh, the radio show that we do every day, four to seven on the Team 980, had my old pal Tim Kalashaw on, who you probably know from ESPN's Around the Horn, uh, has been a panelist on that show since day one. He's also been a columnist for the Dallas Morning News for uh, 30, almost 40 years, uh, I believe at this point for Tim, uh, but I used to actually work uh, with Tim on the radio back in Dallas, back, back when I lived there uh, and worked there. Uh, so Tim was nice enough to come on and, and he said something really interesting, Logan, uh, that kind of sparked this thought idea that we're going to go through right now, which is Dallas with Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy, who we now know is staying a uh, statement from Jerry Jones released last night. Uh, they're they're stuck like they don't have a lot of cap flexibility. Mm -hmm. Dak Prescott's due to be a fifty nine million dollar cap hit on on the cap for 2024 um they've got some other older guys that are big time money in the final year of their deal next year um they're gonna have to pay cd lamb soon like there's there there's not a lot of flexibility that's the bad news for dallas the good news is they just won 12 games uh yep. and and they've done that three years in a row so the guys that they're stuck with are obviously pretty good but the other point tim made was, you know, do do quarterbacks ever have their breakthrough playoff moment in year eight, year nine? And that's kind of what you're hoping for Dak Prescott now, who is two and five in his career in the playoffs. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, they're coming off a Super Bowl run last year. They were awful, awful, awful down the stretch this year, including uh, the playoff game. And they don't have a lot of roster flexibility either. In fact, they're going to lose a lot of pieces, whether it's to retirement, uh, we presume with the guy like Jason Kelsey or, you know, Brandon Graham, et cetera, down the list, Fletcher Cox, vets that have been the core of that team that are going to be pretty difficult to bring back unless, you know, they do what they did with BG last year, which is offer him a, a minimum. And he's like, yeah, I just want to be here. Uh, and they keep those guys around. So that leads to, well, there's also the Giants, but, you know, whatever with them, all due respect. Which which NFC East team would you rather be? K 
Cowboys and Eagles who are locked in with good rosters, but trending the wrong direction, potentially the commanders with a blank slate, or is there something still about Brian Dable that you want to throw out there that you're, you're psyched about? Well, I think, I mean, this is a tough question. You know, I think winning 12 games is good. Like I want to win. This team has it. The the commanders franchise has not done that since 1991. It should be, it should be noted. So like, I think that's good now. Yeah. I think, I think it depends on your goal. Like really, if you, as a coach, like, do you want to be good or do you want to win a Super Bowl? And I think that's ultimately like what every team is asking themselves. And I think the problem that obviously the Dallas and Philly are running into is that they've been, they've had these shifts in coordinators, right? I, specifically Philadelphia. I, I keep going back to that. Like we kind of brushed over that. We talked about it a lot on this show, but I think kind of the national media kind of brushed over that, like all the coordinators leaving Philly and the whole year, everyone's talking about, Oh, it's not right. It's not right. Oh, Jalen hurts regression, blah, 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 blah. Dude, no, like the coordinator is completely different. They're running some kind of version of this college half spread wide bunch. And what made them who they were last year was the ability to lean on the offensive line, right? Lean on the offensive line, run the football. And so there was a total departure from that. So you're going to see Jalen Hurts kind of his warts get magnified. He's going to be put in more difficult situations. They can't lean on the defense the same way. And so that team is in a tough spot. It kind of feels like when I was in Atlanta, quite honestly, like they just paid Matt Ryan. They just paid Julio Jones. I just talked about that in the last segment, obviously. And they're in a spot where you can't make any big changes. And the, the, the talent of the roster is slowly siphoning off. And I think that is a really challenging spot to be like, what are they going to do with that defense? Like, I I don't know what they're going to do. They got to hit on some draft picks. Young guys got to develop. That's every single year, but it feels a little bit more broken than it probably should. Offensively, obviously Kelsey's retiring. Lane Johnson's not getting any younger. That's going to be a tough deal in a couple of years, right? So obviously, like, I think they will be a fine football team next year. I think they will be okay. I think Sirianni is a good head coach, but they're in a tough spot. Dallas is in a similar situation. I think Jail, I think uh, Dak Prescott's playing better, so you the, the floor is a little bit higher. But ultimately, like, do you have enough talent offensively? Do you have enough diversity in your skill position players to win a playoff game? And because again, you look at the teams that won playoff games, which we did on our last podcast, like Detroit Lions, they got a ton of playmakers, guys that can get the ball, t- totally change the perspective of the offense, and really dynamic play calling. I mean, say what you want about Green Bay, but kind of same thing with them. Same thing with Houston. Do they have enough? And I will say this year in the draft, there is an opportunity to draft like a stud receiver, I think, about when they're picking, like a really, really good football player. And that would totally change the dynamic of that offense. And maybe that's enough to get you over the hump. But the problem when all that money's tied up in the quarterback spot, if they're not, I'm going to say Joe Burrow, maybe, or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, that guy that is truly a roster elevator. Yeah, like a top five guy, not a top 10 guy it becomes really, really dicey. Like Matt Ryan was coming off an MVP year. Like I don't think anybody or two years prior, like I don't think anybody said he shouldn't have been paid, but the, but at that point in his career, he wasn't a true roster elevator anymore without the play calling. So I, I think that's like ultimately what you're running into is. And so if your goal is to win a Super Bowl, the personnel decisions you have to make become way more challenging. Unlike here in Washington, where if I'm the coach coming in, my expectation is zero. No one cares anything about what I'm going to do. And I can build it from the ground up. Hopefully I get a rookie quarterback in this year's draft or however we choose to do it. Maybe we stick with Sam Howell, whatever the decision is. But I've got no money tied up in the quarterback. I can go out and free agency, be aggressive. I can flip this roster with a good young coaching staff. It gives me a little bit more flexibility. And eventually we're going to be in that situation when we got to pay the quarterback. All those issues come up. But I... If, if the goal is to win a Super Bowl, 
part of me is like, it's better to be Washington. Part of me, right? And I get that winning 12 games is a huge deal. I want to win games. If I'm a good job, Mike McCarthy, great job. But I go back to like, are they in a spot where Dak Prescott can get them to a Super Bowl? I don't have a good answer for that because he played yeah. like an MVP this year, but it wasn't good enough in the playoffs. Well, the problem was he didn't play like that in the playoffs. And, Correct. Um, that I, I would rely, I, here's how I would answer it direct. If I'm going to directly, like, who would you rather be for the next three years? Um, if I've got to win a super bowl, I'd rather be Dallas. Oh, and that includes Philadelphia. Yeah. I would pick Dallas because Dak just had the best year of his career with McCarthy as the play caller. They're keeping that unit together. CD is great and getting better. Um, like he, he's near the top of his ascent. But he's not near the top. Like he, if he plateaus at what he is right now, we got one of the best five receivers in football the next three, four years. Yes. Um, I'm pretty psyched about that. They need to supplement the running game. They need to get that power 100%. element back, um, which is easier than a lot of other things in this league. Like finding yeah. a big power back again. The running back yeah. has been devalued. So there uh, are. I, I want to say there are a dime a dozen, but like you can find that guy. Yeah. And then the big thing that I thought Tim did a good job of pointing out yesterday with them is like they drafted Mozzie Smith to be this big interior defensive tackle. And he showed up and everyone's like, this is the guy a um, lot smaller than, than I think people in Dallas were sold on him being. So can you can you beef up that defense? It is a small defense. It is small, but yeah. mighty. They, right. they create a ton of turnovers and they're obviously going to lose DQ, assuming that he gets a job somewhere as a head coach. But like can you find a little bit more size and physicality on defense and revamp your defense a little bit? You're still going to have Michael Parsons. Demarcus Lawrence is, is not what he used to be, but he's still good. He's got the final year of his contract left. And I do think that some of their contracts match up okay. Like, there's not a ton of flexibility in this roster, right. for sure. But, like... Uh, like uh, Zach Martin is 34. He's probably on the edge of retirement, maybe another mm -hmm. year, uh, but he's only got one year remaining. Demarcus Lawrence, same thing. Like a lot of these these contracts that are big are about to expire in time mm -hmm. to sign CD to an extension and then maybe add add a piece or two. You know, if we're talking about year two and three of a three-year window. Yeah, and I also think that something there too is that their offensive line is getting older. You know, Tyron Smith yep. so probably he's going to be a free agent. I probably doubt they resign him. Yeah, like, they did draft Tyler Smith, who which worked out pretty well for them. He's a good player, no doubt. But you know, Zach Martin's older, right? There's a lot of stuff there. Steel, their uh, their right tackle struggled earlier this year, and I think when you look at Dak, he's one of these guys that like needs a good O line, needs good skill position players, and so if that piece kind of degrades. Like they can't quite get the same continuity there. Does he take a big regression? You know, and again, yeah. like that's kind and of the scary because now because the that is the one piece that I didn't mention on the cap sheet is his yeah. number goes to fifty nine right. million. Right, and so you can't go out and be like, oh, we're gonna prioritize free agency in the off offensive line, right? You can't go do that anymore the same way you could before. So um, I don't know. It, it 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 definitely puts handcuffs on. But again, like you said, you want good football players, and I think Dallas has a lot of good football players. I think Philly has good football players. They've got issues that seem more comprehensive than Dallas, which is why you're kind of like shying away from that a little bit. But definitely Dallas still feels like the best roster in the division. And I think they're 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 going to be probably the best football team next year. But in terms of winning the, the ship, the championship, as it were, like, does Dak get you there? And I, like I said, this is a very dense receiver draft. They're going to be able to add playmakers. There's some big physical running backs. Derrick Henry's a free agent. Can they yeah. get him in there at the right number? 
like that would change a lot for you in terms of the physicality of your run game. So um, there's a lot of pieces there that get you excited uh, and a lot of potential there. But you got to move around this kind of um, this albatross. And it's not an albatross because Dak's playing good football, but this contract that's kind of taken up all this space in terms of your um, in terms of the cap. So, yes, I agree. I think Dallas is the team, but I, I don't think it's like as clear cut as saying in the next three years, um, you know, who would you most who, who do you most want to be? Because I think it gets pretty dicey there, especially you pay Dak, you pay CD like a top five receiver, you probably reset the market. Where's all that money going to go? And does Dak elevate that roster enough with CD in, in working together to, to get you to the Super Bowl? And I don't know. I, it doesn't feel like it, but, you know, like, like, like your buddy said, like, do you have a year nine breakout on a roster that's deteriorating from a talent standpoint? Yeah, know. that's that's the hard part. I I want to be clear. I don't feel great about it. And if my my no, hopes are on yeah. Dak Prescott breaking through, I I realize that I'm I especially in this moment of you know five days after he Correct. throws two bad picks, uh, including a pick six. And you know the thing is though, like he did also throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns in the game. Like he he bounced back in a major way and he kept fighting. And there there was a toughness and resiliency to the way they fought. Unfortunately, that did not help them get any stops. And Aaron Jones ran all over them again, um, as he has a couple of times in the playoffs over the past couple of years. So it's just, it's not good. Uh, I yeah. think for anybody in this, this division right now, it's just Washington has the blankest slate. I think Philadelphia's, Philadelphia is interesting because in a way they remind me of what the Golden State Warriors try to do in the NBA. There was this term that they use there uh, with two timelines where mm-hmm. it was like, we have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And then they drafted, they, they got like all those dudes got hurt one year. Um, and so they wound up having a great draft picks and all of a sudden, and then like one of their late round draft picks, ironically, a guy named Jordan Poole, who's now in Washington and not playing great. Um, but he showed a ton of promise early, even though it was a late first rounder, they had the number two pick in the draft and they had another like top 10 pick, uh, from a previous trade. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we got two timelines. We can keep winning with, with Steph and Clay and Draymond, and we're going to develop this next thing. And, and that was like, oh my God, they've, they've crashed the system. <laughs> Turns out those young guys weren't actually that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've traded a bunch of them away and they're no longer really on two timelines. They're just trying to salvage the end of Steph Curry's career and win another mm-hmm. championship before, uh, he eventually theoretically gets worse at basketball. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, even though everyone around him has, um, point being Philly's trying to do this as well, right? They, they stacked up on a bunch of young guys. And the question is going to be for them, do those young guys who, some of whom were key players in helping win the Super Bowl, um, or actually not win the Super Bowl, get to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, along with the core guys that helped them win the Super Bowl back in the day, um, about five years ago at this point, or six, seven years ago at this point, 2018, um, can, can they do the handoff from one right. to the other? And the, the problem for them is the biggest piece of that is Jalen Hurts. And yeah. what you saw from Jalen Hurts this year, not very good. Yeah. And, and again, like, I think that's one of the things where it's like, I, I, I think that's a talented roster. I think there's talented pieces there. I think you look at the young defensive linemen, I think there's talent yep. there. I think they've got some young, talented old linemen that need to develop. And again, I'm confident that that line will develop because they have one of the best offensive yeah. line coaches in football. Yeah. But Shout out what to a, Jeff Stoutland. Yeah. What about the other, when the coordinators, when coaching leaves? I mean, it's been so funny to be on this side of it because when you're, when you got your face pressed up against the glass, you're the, the big thing. And Tana says this all the time as a reminder. It's like, you got to overcome coaching. Like you don't want that. You want the players to be elevated by coaching. And I think 
Philly right now, because of all the, the coordinator turnover is they've got to really kind of <clears throat> sit down and find the best coaching solutions offensively and defensively, which you're always trying to do, but you got to really make sure you nail it because you got to make sure that talent develops, that talent fits the vision. They got some older secondary players, right? Is there anybody kind of in the wings coming that's going to save the day there too? So the handoff analogy I think is very, is perfect because it, they're, they're at that moment where it's got to get passed off. And it feels like because of all the, the, the coaching and roster flux they had last year, they're going to bobble the handoff. And so I think that's why you've, I've, I have so much personal anxiety about that organization because it just feels like there's too many variables that are trending in the wrong direction to, to make it tenable next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, I keep kind of haphazardly mentioning the Giants, but they paid Jones last year. They're in a, they're, they're in a tough spot too. They're in a bad they seem to be in a bad way because I don't know what you do with Saquon. I don't know what you do at quarterback. Um, part of me is like you just bite the bullet. A like I don't even know what bite the bullet at quarterback means for them. Like, did that mean going back to Jones and hoping that it works out, or does that mean you, hey, we got the fifth pick in the draft? Like, I think if, if there's a guy there at five, I think you got to take him. I really do. I, I think I agree with that. I think they've missed a little bit with Evan Neal. I think that hurt them in terms of roster development. Like some of the young pieces they have there. You know, uh, Schmitz, the center from Minnesota last year, hadn't really developed the way they'd hoped. Does that old line coach get those guys going? Because uh, again, if they they've they've made investment there, just hasn't panned out. And I think that's so important, especially with the draft kind of looming for this team. Is you got to make sure the coaches and the vision of the coaches align with the person you're bringing in, right? Like I go back to the Caleb McGarry example in Atlanta, like one of the worst graded offensive linemen before Arthur Smith get, gets there. And all of a sudden he's grading in the nineties every single week because they run the ball so much. And that's what he's, that's what he's for. He fits that vision. Right. And so I look at that and I say, like, if you can make personnel decisions like that and elevate that, that element, it's going to be a huge deal. But again, New York's in a tough spot. I, especially with Wink being gone, like yeah. that's a wacky bit. Like just peace, peace and chicken grease. I'm out. So yeah, they're in a tough spot. And I, I get, so can, Part of can, like, I, I think that would be something I would ask in the interview if I'm Adam Peters. Like, which do you want to hire Wink Martindale? Why? Because I've studied the history of this franchise, and it seems like playing him is a terrible idea. And this yeah. is a way to guarantee not to. Yeah, and so I, I think that's that's a great point. And so for me, it's like this this because it's a blank slate. It gives you more opportunity. Now you could mess it up, no no doubt about it. But for sure, I, I think that because the blank slate element to it, because it's it's completely clear the cap space, the draft capital the new coach, the new vision, everything's going to be the same. Outside of Dallas, it feels like a pretty good spot to be in. If yeah. you're trying to get something going for three or four years best, down the road. Yeah, best chances to win a Super Bowl. It depends on how Jalen rebounds. All of a sudden, Jalen yeah. looks like MVP Jalen next year. We're talking about a different thing. By yeah. the way, uh, you just had a terrifying thought in my head. What if the Eagles hire Arthur Smith as their OC? <laughs> that seems like a match. That would be heaven. a nightmare. Yeah, it would be yeah. terrible because that's perfect for them. Right. That's perfect. So it shows you how quickly it can change too. Yeah. We just, I just mentioned one hypothetical and Logan's <laughs> ready to change his entire answer over our last 20 minutes of discussion. All right. Uh, that is the take command podcast. Honestly, sometimes that's the take command podcast in a nutshell, but that yeah, is our right. show for today. Uh, next week, we're finally uh, with holidays and travel and the whole deal. Uh, theoretically going to be on our off season schedule. We record Mondays and Wednesdays. It comes out Tuesday, Thursday, 
morning. So uh, then again, with head coach news, we, we could uh, pop an emergency podcast in your feed uh, upon hiring at any time. So make sure that you are subscribed wherever you are watching or listening right now on YouTube for full episodes at 106.7 The Fan. I post clips as well at Craig Hoffman. And do not miss The Hoffman Show at the Team 980 streaming live every day. Uh, also, of course, on your radio and on the free Odyssey app. And if you want that show on demand, we got a podcast for it too. So wherever you're listening right now, uh, if you're listening, then you can subscribe. Uh, Logan also on the Commander's YouTube page, uh, Command Center, etc. They had a great sit down with Adam Peters the other day, so you can check that out. Uh, and that's that's all the housekeeping and plugging of things. That That is actually the end of our show now. We'll see you next week.